We'll be reading this morning from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Well, good morning. Give me just a second while I get my crutches in order here. And have a seat. Yes, sorry about that. Um, So, good morning. My name is Ken. My last name is Tew. T-E-W is how it's spelled. I met somebody once and they said, great, another way to spell Tew. So, um, now you have that added to your list. So, a little bit about myself. Um, I'm married. I have three kids, uh, one who just graduated from Cedarville, one who's a junior at Mount Bernard Nazarene, and a senior in high school. Um, I am, uh, by trade, I am a software engineer, uh, about the opposite of a public speaker, right? So this is new for me uh, to talk in a setting other than the fact that I did it this morning. So um, the good news is from this morning, if nothing else, I nailed the time, right? So we will get out of here on time. So hopefully that's not the highlight. Um, my, I'll also add that my teaching and speaking background is largely due to about five or six years I spent teaching elementary age kids on Sunday mornings in a, in a large group setting um, similar to this. But, of course, that means I have certain habits. Like, for instance, if I see you talking, I'll, I'll have to resist giving you the stare, you know. Um, the other thing is um, we've already missed the opportunity to do motions with the songs. So we're, there's not that. And um, on what may be bad news is if we do end up early, there won't be a game at the end. So just so we got all that out of the way. Also, I want to uh, mention that uh, part of the reason why Justin asked uh, me to speak today was that I took his basics of preaching class. He is going to come at the end and announce that there's going to be another one of those. Um, so I would highly recommend, if you have the opportunity to devote that time to it, that you should, and that it is very beneficial even if you don't get an opportunity to speak in front of a group like this. The process of going through uh, looking at a portion of God's Word, looking at that, and, and preparing, and allowing that to, the, that to impact you, and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in you, is beneficial no matter what comes out of it, right? Um, as far as the opportunity to speak. And, and also, I would just say in general, we all could use some uh, honing and some, some, some practice talking about God's story, right? God's got a story that he started a long time ago, and it's our story. And our story right now is very personable, and people need to hear it. There's a lot of people out there that need to hear your story. So get better at it. I am thankful for the opportunity that Justin gave me and the classmates gave me and God gave me uh, to hone that. All right, so this morning, uh, the, the scripture reader got lucky. He didn't have to do Old Testament names. He didn't have to do three chapters of Samuel, just one verse, right? 2 Timothy 2.15, and we got to get a couple things out of the way. I'm jumping ahead. Let me back up just a second. 
I want to do set a little bit of stage. Have we, had we been walking through Timothy, last week I would have said, or when we started the Timothy study, I would have said, go back and read 2 Timothy, and when you do, take a, take, take a picture in your mind of this, right? I would tell you to reread it because so many times we approach texts and we have our own perspectives, and we may even say, Lord, what am I going to get out of this today? And while that's not bad, it's usually best to make sure we, we just say, Lord, what was going on when this was originally written? And so today I want to paint a picture for you. Uh, imagine there's a man, he's dying, but he's not sick. He just knows that his days are numbered. And he's got this younger man that he's poured into as like an apprentice, as a mentee. Um, in many ways, he sees them as his son. And he's writing a letter to him because he's fearful that he'll never see him again. And he writes these words of encouragement and teaching, and it's very, very um, heartfelt, and he wants to encourage this younger man to continue his calling to teach and preach and lead. So that's what we have, right? Paul is the author of this letter to Timothy. Paul is in jail, maybe house arrest, but he's in Rome. He was charged of a crime. He appealed to his Roman citizenship, so he got shipped to Rome for his imprisonment and trial. When that all started, he might have assumed that he was going to get free, that that was his course of action to get free. And, but now he knows, as he's writing this letter, that's not the case. Nero is in charge of Rome, and he's committing atrocity after atrocity towards the Christians, and Paul knows his days are numbered. And so he takes time to write a letter, probably dictating it uh, to uh, maybe even a man named Oniphorus, uh, that to send to Timothy these final words of teaching, encouragement, and exhortation, and prayer. And in that he writes, do your best, be diligent, strive hard to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Let me pray for just a second. Father God, I pray that you would help me rightly handle the word of truth today, that my words will be pleasing to you first and foremost. But it is my prayer that the Holy Spirit will be at work today and that what you have stirred up in me will also stir up um, things that will impact and change uh, the hearer. And if it does, Father, I will know it's of you. And help me to um, relax a little bit. And um, I'm thankful for the, the love and grace you have given me that allows me to do that. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so before we get too much into this, um, let's acknowledge there's a, there's a whole lot in this sentence. And as I was assigned this at the, basically the first day of the class, um, as I was, I was assigned this, I just kept reading it over and over again. And, and there's, like I said, there's just so much. But some of the things that jumped out, first off, do we have any uh, Awana participants, Awana graduates in the room, people aware of Awana, right? An approved, approved workmen are not ashamed. That's what Awana stands for. This is the Awana verse, right? And so I've had my kids tell me this verse over and over again throughout the years. So we got that out of the way. Now we can move on past, okay, it's, it's Awana. The other thing is what really jumped out at me was this rightly handling the truth. And then you, you ask yourself, can you handle the truth? 
And at least for my generation, we cannot say those words without hearing Jack Nicholson answering it, right? Do we know that scene? So we've got Jack Nicholson, and he says, you want answers? Tom Cruise, I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth, right? So we got Jack Nicholson. He's in his general uniform, and he's looking at this young lawyer, and he's saying, I do the hard stuff. I do the messy stuff. I do the things that it needed to be done so that your freedom is secure. And when he looks at Tom Cruise, the lawyer, he says, he's basically saying, you are not emotionally prepared to handle the truth. And it could be that that's what Paul is trying to remind Timothy, right? That an unashamed worker is one that is emotionally able to handle the word of truth. And I think this is worth, worth pursuing. There's another way that he might be using handle. The word handle might also be referring to, say, like a, a physical handle, like a wielding, right? So like as a parent, there's this stage where, at least for me, there was this glorious stage where I decided my son was old enough to handle a lawnmower, right? And you might also wonder about handling power tools or handling pots in a hot stove. Like, when are they going to be prepared to handle those things? There's a form of martial arts called kendu where they spin around with swords, right? And the sword becomes this blur, and lots of times we're just watching that, wondering how many fingers they're going to cut off, right? And they, it's so impressive how they, they do that. And then there's a, if you want to get a concealed carry permit, for instance, you have to prove that you're, you're able to handle a gun, right? Able to wield a gun. So it could be that Paul is trying to say an unashamed worker is able to use the word of truth at the right time and the right way. But before we dive into those things, I think it's worthwhile to talk a little bit about a phrase I'm saying a lot, and it's a very specific phrase that Paul uses here, right? It's this, the word of truth. It's, it's um, I'm going to butcher it probably, but the Greek it's logos aletheia, and it's a phrase that he has taken from, say, Greek philosophy and has now started using it in a divine way, and it takes on a very divine meaning. And what it means is, in contrast to if he had said, uh, Timothy, handle the truth well, we might be inclined to say, he just means don't lie. Right? He might mean, be a man of integrity, don't lie, stand by what you say. But he specifically uses this phrase, word of truth, word of truth. And I think we can take that to mean that Paul is telling Timothy, this is the one truth from the one true God. So, let's go back to the original thought. Let's go back to this idea that maybe it's emotionally prepared and maybe it's physically able to, right? And so, it's important when we come to a text that we understand the original context. And I've given you some of that picture, but I can tell you that today, we may not do that wholly, right? I'm using this verse in many ways as a springboard, as a launching pad, as, a, as what we might call a teaching moment, right? So after reading this verse, there were so many things I th that the Holy Spirit stirred up in me that he was teaching me that I feel like it's worthwhile to share. And when the, the class that we took, um, it was interesting. So in the video series, they were, they were clear to hammer home, home this idea 
you must have a bottom line. Your sermon should have that one big idea that if nothing else, people remember this. So today, I'm going to give you six. So you see how good I did in the class, right? So I'm kind of a rebel in that way, but what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to give you kind of a multiple choice, pick which one hits you, right? And I think this aspect of of the word is what tells us that this is bigger than just Paul and Timothy, right? This is where these words transcend Paul. We see the Holy Spirit in Paul and the Holy Spirit in Timothy come together and just explode into power, right? And the good news of that, the good news of that is that for you and I, that same power exists today. The same opportunity for the Holy Spirit in Paul writing these words to intersect with the Holy Spirit in us and those words explode into power for you and for me, right? And the interesting thing about the way this works is the 30-year-old Ken might have read this in a certain context and it, and, it, and it stirred up truth in me that was different than the Ken that is as old as I am now. Um, I mean, I'm talking about last week and then this week, but uh, stirred up the truth in me that might be different. Not that the truth has changed, but I have, right? My context has changed. I have a context. You have a context. We have a win, right? We have a culture that we're living in. We have a family that we're part of or not a part of, if that's a challenge for you. We have a community that we're in, and all those things, along with the Holy Spirit, are going to cause things to come to, to, to our minds and to our hearts. And I pray today, it's my prayer today, that one of these will come into your context, not a context that you bend or mold, not a context that is for you to decide your needs and desires and turn it into that, but for one that if we truly approach these words seeking understanding, seeking truth, they'll cut us, it'll shape us, and ultimately change us. And that's my prayer for you to do, that, that an unashamed worker is one who rightly handles the word of truth. So reminding us that one of the key elements of Paul's letter to Timothy is that he wants him to lead and teach. He wants him to follow his call to lead and teach. And you may be, may be thinking, well, okay, I can check out now. I'm not a leader or a preacher. But I want you to hear today that if you are a, in the family of God, you have that role as well right? We are called to be disciplers, which is teaching. We are called to be salt and light in our communities, which is leading, right? So you have an opportunity to teach and lead, even if that's not part of your job title, even if that's not part of your ministry that you, that's formalized, right? So I hope you hear some encouragement today. I hope you, uh, quite honestly, I hope you're challenged today by some of these questions that I ask. Okay, so let's get into it, finally. Um, and let me drink some water real quick. I'm kind of, I think my body's kind of like the dog in Up, you know, squirrel. My body in the middle of talking will go, thirsty. So we got that out of the way. Okay. So at the beginning of this letter, our first point in the emotionally side of things as we start to explore, maybe Paul is challenging Timothy to be emotionally prepared. So at the beginning of the letter, he writes, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me, his prisoner. Do not be ashamed. 
And this is a topic that Paul brings up a lot. Um, He wants Timothy to know that shame is possible, right? He writes to the to, he reminds Paul that he is not ashamed, right? Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because I know what I believe, and I am convinced that Jesus guards me always. And by the way, Timothy, Onifers comes to me regularly. He's not ashamed of me, and he refreshes me. He also wrote um, a letter, or maybe it was a sermon he gave to the, to the Hebrews, where he explains the supremacy of Christ, and he says, Christ knows those that he has sanctified, and he's not ashamed to be their brothers. Later on in Hebrews, in this this sermon he probably gave to a bunch of uh, Jewish people, he said, um, there's a section where he talks about um, people of great faith, and he says, God is not ashamed to be their God. He also talks about shame when he's talking to a group of Romans, and I want to read this, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation. And he goes on to bring up their past shame in order to remind them, the things that you are ashamed of in your past are dead now. And that's good news for me. I hope that's good news for you. You see, shame is an emotion. There are few things that are um, more human than shame, right? Shame is a part of who we are as humans. And I think, uh, let, me, let me say that again. I know I have plenty to be ashamed of, and I'm guessing you do too. But one thing Paul wanted Timothy to know is, in all your shame, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of Jesus. An unashamed worker is emotionally prepared to stand up and oppose those opportunities to be ashamed by being confident in the gospel. So are you emotionally prepared to withstand ridicule, or maybe even worse, those self-inflicted taunts that might surface up shame? So next we kind of look at this idea that trials and persecutions were a part of Timothy's life, right? They were a part of Paul's life. They were a part of the people that Timothy and Paul led life. It was a reality for what they were going through. And many of Paul's students and many of the people Timothy led fell away in the light of those trials and persecutions. Some even fell away. There's, there's parts where Paul talks about those that fell away because of his trials and persecutions, not even their own, right? So it could be that Paul is wanting to make sure that Timothy is ready for this, right? He calls Christians, the early Christians, to share in the suffering of Christ. He calls them to be ready for that suffering, He even talks in a letter to the Ephesians, he talks about this armor of God that we can put on to help us stand the schemes of the devil, right? And this armor isn't physical. It's very spiritual. It's very emotionally based, right? And so he's preparing, in in these letters, he's preparing the listener to be able to withstand trials and persecutions. And so one of the truths that Timothy, Timothy, if, if he continues to lead and teach, and in all reality, just be a Christian, he needs to be prepared is that there will be trials and persecutions, especially when he stands for the word of truth. An approved workman is emotionally prepared for the trials and persecutions that come. And how, how are you, you holding up? So our third point relative to the emotional side of things is uh, false teachers were part of Timothy's life too. And this was an issue that Timothy was dealing with um, 
a very specific trial and persecution, right? Uh, later on in this letter, after the verse that we read, there's a few sentences later, Paul actually uses names to point out who these false teachers are. So this is very real and very personal for Timothy. The truth of leading is that there will be smart people that seek to uh, use deceptive ways to lead people in a negative direction, right? They're going to come along after you and seek to discredit you and tear you down. Peter writes, he describes them as destructive heresies. This is, again, a real issue for Timothy and a real issue for today as well. Uh, when doing research for this, I came across many, many stories of preachers and teachers that were on the brink of quitting because of a student who turned on them. It's very real. And I think, uh, I can think of many uh, parents who are going through trials right now as they watch children that they've invested so much in to uh, root their lives in untruths. <clears throat> so it can hurt when someone you have invested in roots their lives in untruth. And an unashamed worker invests in others even if the emotional toll is great. So how are you handling that truth? So clearly there's a lot here that could take an emotional toll. Um, and we should maybe take a moment here, I think, to come to grips with the idea that we are emotional. We are emotional beings, right? We, we like to spend a lot of time thinking we aren't. We like to think that our rational self is who we are. We like you know, I know for me that the mature filters kind of do this a lot, right? The things I should do aren't as instinctual as I think they are. The way I react and emote is not as pleasing to the Lord as I would like. But I think it's important for us to understand that it, I, who we are is betrayed in our emotions. And that can hurt sometimes, right? So I think it's worthwhile for us to understand that as emotional beings we need to be prepared for that and it's the interesting thing about this is Paul saying Timothy you need to be prepared to maybe saying you need to be emotionally prepared to handle the word of truth and the interesting thing is it's that word of truth that is also going to make you emotionally prepared right it's a nice little uh, arrangement there but so It is possible that Paul wanted to make sure that Timothy knew that an approved workman is emotionally ready to deal with matters of truth. And it may not be possible. It may not be what he was after. So let's make sure we take some time to look at a perspective from the other side that I talked about, this physical, this, this, this wielding side, and let's explore that perspective a little bit. So as we start to go that way, we see earlier in the letter some clues as to whether Paul might be meaning this, and that is he uses this analogy of a soldier. He talks about uh, be, uh, how does it, be like a good soldier and please your commanding officer, right? And I'm looking from the outside in, but it looks to me like there are few roles or occupations where emotion is less a part of, right? Uh, I think that's what boot camp and, and field training is about, right? 
remove the emotion from the soldier, right? This is soldiers doing soldiery things without emotion involved. So if Paul is pointing us to a soldier, I think we're, what we're seeing is a picture of someone who is less emotional and spends lots of time in drills and training and practicing so that he can use the tools that are at his disposal, right? Sounds like a very physical wielding. He also uses the analogy of an athlete. And when he talks about an athlete, he says, um, no athlete, basically no athlete wins unless he follows the rules. You have to know the rules in order to be a good athlete, right? The rules need to be instinctual. So um, for me, uh, this came to home, comes to home a little bit. I'm a, a soccer coach. And as my, the kids and my team get older, I usually encourage them to become referees, right? Becoming a referee is a good way to understand the rules better. And understanding the rules in soccer could mean the difference between being offside or being onside, which could mean the difference between goal or no goal. Understanding the rules instinctually is an important part of being an athlete. And then finally, he uses this analogy of a farmer. Um, a hardworking farmer should get the first reward of the harvest. And um, I'm getting into gardening a little bit. So um, I've got this 18-foot um, by about 5-foot area that I started gardening for the first time this year. And I set out I was going to grow 25 different things in this garden, right? That was a bit ambitious. Um, and I was fully prepared to fail miserably at most of it. And it's a good thing I was prepared for that. Um, it's going okay. Um, but the main thing is, you see, I spent time trying to learn how to garden and grow these things, but nowhere near enough time to guarantee success, right? Um, and if there's one thing I have learned through this process is that a farmer needs to know his stuff, right? Each one of these vegetables, each one of these fruit, each one of these flowers and herbs requires something different, right? A different amount of shade, a different amount of nourishment, a different amount of harvesting technique. All of them are different. And if, you, if a farmer does not know his stuff, there will be no harvest. So it could be that Paul is trying to say an unashamed soldier, athlete, farmer, or worker works hard to hone their knowledge and skills. And so I would ask you to analyze your skills and knowledge related to the word of truth. Would you say they are much better than they were, say, a year ago? So then as we look further into this, this physical nature is the idea that we see throughout Paul's writings, he uses very active metaphors for the Christian life. Um, later on in this letter, a famous verse says, I fought the fight, I ran the race. Very active. In his first letter to Timothy, he encouraged Timothy to flee bad things, pursue good things, fight the good fight, take hold of your eternal, eternal life. Fighting, racing, uh, fleeing, pursuing, taking hold. These are all very, very active words, right? Very, very physical actions. If nothing else, we, if you've read the New Testament very much at all, you know that Paul is very passionate about expressing how demanding the role of apostolic ministry is, right? But that he treasures nothing more, right? That's an important part of it. But he's active, active, active. In fact, I think Paul is one of the firm believers in that phrase, um, I'll rest when I'm dead, right? He is pursuing his role in his ministry fervently.
And he's encouraging Paul, he's encouraging Timothy to do the same. Specifically, I would say, Paul is pushing Timothy, remember, to be an approved worker, not just an approved thinker. Active, active, active. An unashamed worker is first and foremost a worker. Would you say that your personal ministry is characterized by hard work? I think most of us are impressed, like I mentioned before, of those guys who wield the swords really fast, right? And that that sword becomes a blur and somehow they're able to not actually hurt themselves. And another interesting point about swords is uh, soldiers and leaders carried swords into battle long after guns were around. And the reason was because being able to wield a sword garnered more respect, right? So we see this idea of sword training being something that garners respect. And in fact, Paul, in, some of his, in, in several of his letters, used swords as an analogy for the word, for the logos. And so like in that armor of God section that I talked about, he added to the armor the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Right? In, the Hebrew sec- in the Hebrew sermon, he said the, the word is living and active like a two-edged sword. And I'm, I've got to think that if Paul used these in his letters, he probably used these a lot, this metaphor lots of times in his everyday speech, right? And so I'm thinking that Timothy, when as soon as he heard rightly handle the word of truth, he might have jumped to a sword, right? That, that, that connection might have been there. And I don't know about you, but when I think of handling a sword, I'm not so much worried about how I feel about it. I want to make sure that I handle that well, right? I want to make sure that I do no harm, first and foremost, to others, um, and, but also, you know, selfishly to myself. So I think there's a good chance that Timothy heard that and thought about how he physically handles it. So an unashamed worker handles the sharp truths of God in the right way at the right time. So let me ask you, when is the last time you spoke the painful truth to a friend And it wasn't a Facebook comment or a post. So which is it? Have you been tugged in any given direction? Have you been challenged to be better emotionally prepared for the path God has set for you? Have you been challenged to better understand God's word so that you might better be prepared to speak loving truth or to give wise counsel or to lovingly soothe a broken heart? And What I do know, what I am confident of, again, is that if you approach the text, if you approach the Bible with a sincere desire to know the truth, that the Holy Spirit will see you to that. It will guide you, and it will raise that truth up for you. Seek first the kingdom of God in all these things. The context there, lots of is knowledge in many ways, that all these things is knowledge. All this knowledge will be given. So, back to our original question that hopefully um, Jack Nicholson isn't the only one that can answer this question. Can we handle the truth? Can I handle the truth? Can you handle the truth? And what I want to make sure you understand is I have a little bit of a hard truth about that. Because if rightly handling the truth is what makes us approved workmen, we might be in a little bit of trouble, right? 
Because even Paul, at the very beginning, did we miss that in the very beginning? I haven't said much about this, but he says, what does he say? Do your best. Now, as a parent, I can remember times where I told my kids to do their best, and it was usually right before they were going to fail. Right? right before it was going to be obvious that someone was better than them. Right? So Paul knows, is telling Timothy, do your best, and he knows failure is coming. The good news is that God knows failure is coming. Right? We can't handle the truth perfectly. We are far from that, in fact. Because, you see, I feel like we are so prone to, to bend the truth to our needs and desires, right? We are so apt to see the, the speck of truth our neighbor needs and neglect the plank of truth that we need. We can't handle the truth perfectly. But I have good news. Timothy was given good news I have good news for you, is that we don't have to handle it perfectly. To be approved before God, we don't have to handle the truth perfectly because Jesus did that for us, right? Jesus became a man, and he emotionally dealt with the truth. Jesus became man and wielded the truth in love and power. Jesus was convicted because he stood for the truth. Jesus died to fulfill the truth of God's word, and Jesus rose from the dead that we might know the truth, and the truth set us free. Our eternity is not bound in our handling of the truth because Jesus handled it for us. And that is good news for all of us. And this is the one truth that I hope you do leave understanding and handling. If not, if you haven't gotten to that place where that truth has changed you, if you've not gotten to the place where you believe Jesus is Lord and you want to confess and believe in him, then I plead with you, please talk to someone about that. I'd love to talk to you about it. The person sitting beside you would probably like to talk to you about it. And if you can't, don't get it with the first person you talk to, I encourage you to reach out and reach out and reach out. Knock, 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 and the door will be open for you. I have faith in the Holy Spirit to do that because I know that he is faithful to see you to the truth and the truth shall set you free. Let's pray. Father God, I'm thankful that you have made the truth apparent in my life and I pray that it's stirring up in everyone here today because your truth is the one truth. I pray that the love and the grace that I am so thankful for will become real in everybody's life. And if, in ways in which I can share that with others that you would make known to me. And I'm thankful, again, for this opportunity I've had. And I pray that each one of us would be challenged to rightly handle your word and your truth. We love you. We praise you. Uh, we look forward to your return. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.